Welcome to Remodel Your Life. We are shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan. Everybody, today I have an amazing guest, Natasha Fritz, with us, who's going to be talking to us about um, being a general contractor, a general carpenter. She's got a lot of experience and she's a Canadian and she's all the way to talk to us a little bit about getting a, you know, a career in that. And, and she runs her own company called Natural Carpentry. Um, so, Natasha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today. Yeah. So I know you, um, <clears throat> I believe you went to a trade school right out of high school and kind of decided to do carpentry really early. Can you, you know, paint us a picture of like what you were thinking about in high school and, and why you made that choice and, and kind of, you know, what school you went to? Yeah. Um, I went to a carpentry program. It was called Heritage Carpentry and Millwork. And that was at Algonquin College, which is located in the Ottawa area. And I decided to, like you said, do that right out of high school. Uh, I had applied to a few different uh, schools, universities for wide variety of things like I considered going into maybe a science program and uh, I always took shop courses when I was in high school. I really enjoyed doing that. It was kind of almost like a little break from the school day getting to go to shop class and build stuff. So when we were, uh, my mom and I went on like a little road trip and we were going around visiting some of the different schools that I had applied to. And, you know, they'll give you like tours of the campus and that kind of thing. And uh, we went to the trade school that I had applied to and they were doing an open house. And I just had like this really good feeling, like this strong feeling that like this is the place for me. And that was really the deciding factor. Just when I went there, it felt like I belonged there. And that's how I made my decision. That's awesome. So, and how long was that program? <clears throat> the program was a two-year full-time program, which is for Ontario at the time. That's kind of long for a trade program. But uh, it was great. The first year, they had uh, two carpentry programs at the school. And so the first year of both programs was exactly the same. You learn, like, the basics. You build a box with only hand tools. And you learn the basics of framing a house and cutting a rafter and stuff like that. And then in the second year, you kind of get more specialized as to what your program is about. And so my program was specifically about working with uh, century homes and heritage homes, uh, techniques for restoration, 
um, techniques to fully replace things. So we learned stuff like how to build a wooden window from scratch. So we would mill the material from rough all the way up to like finish grade. And then we would build a window or a door. Um, or we also learned how to do timber framing and log building. So like a really broad uh, sort of perspective of all the different opportunities that you could specialize in even within the field of carpentry. So it was very, very cool, unique program. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Like, I think that's kind of an interesting distinction between what you're doing and what I do. Uh, Building kitchen cabinets is what we consider finished carpentry, where everything's really fine and precise and you see everything you do, every mark, everything, right? But it sounds like what you were doing was real rough construction, but they also gave you the opportunity to do, to take something literally from raw, rough, you know, timber all the way to a fine finish built window. That's incredible. Most people don't get that full experience. So that's really what, what, that sounds like so much fun. It was, it was, uh, it was a great program. I mean, obviously in hindsight, I was young and in college. So I feel like if I had been more focused, I could have potentially taken a bit more away from it um, <laughs> like all of us. but but it was a it was a great program um and yeah. just very like very broad perspective of all the opportunities that are available yeah so um so i know you, you started your own company right you've you've got um your company that you've been operating for you know roughly five years how did yes. you make the decision to do, you know, I remember being young and just struggling with like, should I open my own thing? Should I work for somebody? I did both of those things. And you never really know, like, what's the right answer, right? Nobody just tells you as, like, as a grown up, like, here's what to do. So how did you make that hit that crossroads? And how did you sort of take the next step to know you're going to start your own company? Uh, it was, I would say, sort of a slow transition. So after graduating from the program, uh, I started, like I got a job and I was working for companies and I moved around like fairly frequently because it's not always easy to find like a good employer in the construction (laughs) industry. Yep. Uh, But, you know, they're out there. It's just you have to not be scared to be like, well, I don't really like working for this guy. I'm just going to find another job. Uh, But through all of that, I always would try to do jobs on the side or weekend jobs or if if I was uh, in between jobs, normally I could do something for someone like locally uh, I remember one of the very first side jobs that I did was installing some hardwood flooring for someone. Uh, and that was easy because to install hardwood, you don't need a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really easy to rent a nailer to install hardwood. Uh, it doesn't really cost very much. I think it costs like 20 bucks for a day. And if you have like a jigsaw and a compressor, you can pretty much install hardwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one of the the first things that I did as a side job. Uh, I built a handrail for someone, just like little jobs that I could do fairly easily and that wouldn't take up a ton of time to do on the weekend either. Like I could get it done in one or two weekends 
and that would be it. And uh, it's sort of slowly built from there. Doing the side jobs help you build up a collection of your own personal tools. So the more tools you personally have, the easier it is for you to do jobs on your own. Um, and it's also a great way to, you know, find potential clients that maybe have a bigger job. Because when I was starting, it was more so people that were like friends of my parents or uh, references through other members of my family, like people that they knew that just wanted a little renovation done or something like that. And it just sort of grew from there. I felt somewhat confident that I had enough work to keep me going for like a few months. And uh, it just kind of happened. So how did you decide what to charge and sort of how, you know, like, I mean, that's, there's just a lot in that, like buying the materials and knowing what to charge and knowing how to mark it up and uh, knowing how to sell it to the client and all that stuff. So how did you kind of grow into that, those skill sets? So if, at first I was for sure not charging enough money. I would say charging enough money is something that I'm still sometimes getting a handle on because it's constantly growing and changing and you learn more things about it uh, than you did when you first started. Like I didn't even really realize uh, that marking up uh, material was something I should be doing at the beginning. Like I had no clue. So yeah, you, you know, were just that, adding your personal profit to it. You weren't actually marking up the individual materials as well. No, yeah. no, I wasn't. So you were losing money. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally was. Um, and so that's something that I just learned over the years. And you would think like, because sometimes you get like a deposit check from someone. And when you first start out, you're like, this seems like so much money. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the end of the job and you're like, well, I don't have any money left. What happened? <laughs> um so it was, at first, it was like a pretty hard learning process. And I didn't really, I, I wasn't really making money like I was getting by. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that I was operating in a profitable way at all. Yeah. How many years did it sort of take you to kind of, you know, get over that hump where you feel like, oh, I'm actually profitable now. Like I'm, you know, I can pay my bills and like, I'm not stressed out about money. Is that like a year or two, do you think? Yeah, I would say it took about two, like somewhere between like the two to three year mark. I started to more so get a handle on it. There's other things too as well. Like we have to, you have to have uh, workers' compensation. That's like a legal requirement here. And it's actually done through a specific like subsidized company, I can't even just get the insurance from wherever I have to get it specifically from like this one company. And then there's uh, making sure you save money for taxes and just all these things that you don't really mm -hmm. realize you have to do. Uh, and you don't really realize how much it's going to cost you. Like yeah. the the workers' compensation is around uh, between eight to ten percent for a carpentry company here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that really adds up. It um, does. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you mind us giving us some idea of, like, you know, what you're making now, roughly, and maybe what your gross sales are, or sort of, you know, what you're doing now? Do you mind talking about that? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, now I pay myself around like between fifty and fifty-five thousand dollars a year. So I don't make uh, a ton of money personally. I'm trying to keep money uh, in the business. Uh, that is more than I've paid myself in the past, and I'm I probably actually could pay myself a bit more, but um, I'm trying to like that's enough for me to pay all my bills and I'm pretty comfortable with that. So I think in another year or so I'll probably start paying myself more like Mm $70,000. And then as a business, I think annually over the past year or two, our gross income is uh, between three and $400,000. It's a fairly small company. It's just me and one other employee Mm -hmm. at the moment. Uh, So... And how many jobs does that roughly, um, I mean, I I have a sort of sense of about how many of those jobs that you're doing. I know you're doing pretty large scale, you know, pretty complex retrofit, what we would call retrofits, like where you're really doing a lot of stuff from the guts up, like from the bottom up and doing a lot of real structural changes, which can be, you know, pretty expensive for a client, right? For a customer. So like about how many jobs do you do a year? Uh, for that amount of gross sales, do you think? Um, <clears throat> I would say probably between 10 and 15 jobs a year. Uh, most of our jobs are as a carpentry subtrade for like larger general contractors. So on a lot of the homes we're going in and we're doing the structural changes and like the rough framing part of it or doing an addition and interior changes. A big thing uh, that's done here in Toronto is people underpin their basements. So an old home in Toronto would traditionally have a basement that would be like maybe four to six feet to the floor height. Some are a bit deeper, some are less deep. And so an underpin basically means that they like dig the foundation down to make it what would be considered here a full height basement. So minimum eight feet, depending on where your house is located. Sometimes you can go deeper, but there's a lot of factors that impact like how deep you can go. And so underpinning the basement, once that's done by a concrete company, we then go in and there's a lot of changes that are required uh, to the stair openings. Because once you've dropped the basement by, let's say, like three to four feet, your old set of stairs isn't going to work. The stair opening is going to be too small. So we do a lot of like structural changes to the stair openings and putting in new beams to create open concept and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me laugh because I love building stairs. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I remember that was one of my most fun things to learn when I was you know, young and, and the union, like it's just so fun to make a stairs out of nothing, right? And when it goes yeah. up and you walk up it, you're just like... It's like incredible, right? It's like magic <laughs> building yeah. your first set of stairs. So, stairs I can, and roofs. Yes, I can st- the most fun. See, see why you um, like doing it because it's kind of like new every time. Um, uh-huh. So, speaking of working as a subcontractor, um, 
I could see that being a little dicey and hard, really. You know, it's still a very 100% male-dominated industry, um, you know, pretty much uh, 95%. So how do you, as going in as a female, uh, you know, subcontractor in carpentry specifically, where you're doing all the real physical big work, right? This is stuff typically men would do, for sure, right? These are big beams, big pieces of wood. This is not little cabinets like I'm doing, right? So, I mean, this is real physical work. And yeah. it's on a large scale and it's every single day. Lots of weather issues, right? Super cold. I mean, just you're in it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. This yeah. is real carpentry. So how do you sell yourself as a small company, as a small female-owned company, carpentry, real doing the real physical work to these other builders? Like, how do you convince them to do that job and that I mean, there's a lot of money on the line, millions and millions of dollars, right? With the clients. How do you convince them that you can do the work? Like physically show up every day and not somehow run into something you're not going to know what to do or whatever. Like I could see, you know, what you're doing is incredible. Like people don't really understand, but it's a lot to sell yourself on those kinds of jobs. Um, I think that one of the great things about trade work is that it really the work really speaks for itself uh so the fact that we're doing good work we really try to focus on always doing the best job that we can the best quality that we can and when someone sees that and they appreciate that because let's be real there are people out there that don't appreciate those kinds of things. Yeah. They're more so concerned with speed, uh, speed or the dollar number mm -hmm. attached to the work. So not everyone appreciates that, but there are people out there that appreciate it. And if that's what you focus on, those are the kind of people that are going to be attracted to your work anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that, you know, the work really, the great thing about it is that it can do a lot of the talking. I know that the work that we do is good quality work, and I know that we're uh, good at how we do it. You know, we keep a clean job site. We are methodical in our processes because a lot of the work is also pretty dangerous. You know, you're a lot of the time shoring up sections of a house yeah. to take out structural elements that and replace fall them down completely. <laughs> yeah. And you're replacing them with new structural elements. So we are methodical with our process in doing that. You know, it's not necessarily something that can be always done quickly, but it needs to be done safely and it needs to be done uh, in a smart way. And so we're very cautious. Uh, all of our work is very clean. Like a lot of the times we can put a structural beam in without even damaging the exterior finish, which mm -hmm. we try to do. Uh, so, you know, I, I really just try to let the, the quality of work speak for itself. And uh, when most people see it, they, they see what we can offer and they're interested in our services based on that. I don't really do a ton of marketing. Like I do this, some stuff on Instagram, just showing things that I think are interesting or details that I find are unique. And, uh, I get people that contact me through that, or we just get referrals from other people within the industry. Um, 
saying that we do good work. And hey, if you're looking for a carpenter, here's a company that I've used and we're really happy with their work. Yeah. Well, and you probably work for a couple of the same builders over and over again, right? That are happy with you. And so they spec you on the next job they're doing. And so you probably have some work that's always coming up, right? From the existing builders, the people that you've worked with before. Yeah, we definitely get uh, a lot of like repeat clients. Uh, I am also currently, actually, I have a couple meetings in the next month or so to talk to some new builders. So that's always great uh, because with being a sub trade, you know, if you get a, a small handful of builders that really like working with you, then that's all you really need. Like mm-hmm. five, four or five builders that want to work with you and you're set to be busy for who knows how long, like years and years and years. Yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting because I, I did the opposite with my kitchen cabinet company, but again, I was doing finish work, whereas you're doing the stuff that comes before all that stuff. And what I found was I was, there was a lot of risk to my cabinet shop business when I worked, when I used to sub for builders because in California, like people would come and go and go out of business and you'd be left not getting paid for, you know, a hundred thousand dollar cabinet job. And right. so that you've been working on for months. So mm-hmm. for me, like I ended up early when I first started my company after the first say five or six years, I completely switched the model because it was just too risky working for the builders. And I didn't have any control over what was going on with a lot of the other things on the job site. So I ended up going directly to the woman, directly to the homeowner. So for me, that worked better. And I didn't basically work with builders after that. Um, But for you, for what you're doing, and it sounds like you've got some really great stable companies to work under, they're basically selling kind of for you, like, because you're doing the work, but they're always out trying to find new clients. So just kind of interesting all the different ways you can kind of position your company depending on, you know, where you live and what's going on around you. So, um, sounds, sounds like you got a good thing going on up there. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit and tell me about like your top three favorite tools, your top three favorite hand tools by, and the actual brands, like the exact ones you use and how I'm five, three, how tall are you? I think you're five, six, five, seven. I am. That's yeah, that's taller. exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> very, very accurate guess considering we have never met in person. Well, as a short person, I'm always <laughs> wanting to be taller. So, um, yeah. So what's some of your favorite, um, you know, hand tools that you just cannot live without? Um, so I have an M1 Martinez uh, framing hammer that I absolutely love. Before that, I had a stiletto 14-ounce, uh, not the T-bone, though, the, just one with a wooden handle. Yeah. Uh, and I love, love, love that Martinez hammer. Uh, I use it, obviously, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really uh, I really love a good tape measure, like the Stanley Fat Max. That's mine, 16 yeah. footer. Yours is probably the, the longer one because you actually need yeah. it. Mine's the 16 because most cabinets are under eight feet <laughs> that you can yeah. pick up and carry. Um, um, so I've been using that tape since forever. That's yeah. it's my that's tape. my number one tape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've tried some other tapes, but they they never really last that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
I don't know. What about your school I, saw? Are you just using kind of the regular worm drive, the old, you know, the regular one we all kind of had? Or uh, I, I have a few different skill saws. Uh, actually, probably one of the favorite tools that I've purchased in the last few years is the uh, saw squatch, and that's made by Skill Saw, and it's a it's a skill saw with a ten inch blade, mm-hmm. so it can cut right through like a big timbers. <laughs> It can just cut through larger material. Like if you're installing TGIs, mm-hmm. it can cut through it in one pass. You don't have to like flip it mm-hmm. and cut it on both sides. Yeah. Um, so I actually really love that tool. It changed the way that we do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't use it every single day, but it's one of those things where when you need it, you're just so happy that you have it. Yeah. That's how I feel about my Festool track saw, my guided track saw. It's just like, it can just do so many things. Like, it's yeah. just incredible compared to my regular, you know, handheld skill saw. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the Sasquatch, I've seen it, but I haven't used one. But I mean, that must have been a little bit of like, whoo, when you first when you first fired it up, right? I mean, that's a big it's, blade. It's a bit intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was surprisingly light. Like I found mm. the weight to be quite light. It actually weighs about as much as an old skill saw before they started making the magnesium ones. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty impressive for uh, a saw with a 10-inch blade. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, so to round it out, let's talk a little bit about this um, awesome event that, you've, that you're going to on the 20th, which is IBS, right? International Building Show. And yes. And you're going representing the Tradeswomen of IG and I, um, the Instagram account specifically. So can you talk a little bit about, I know that account is run by several, you know, amazing women and you've been on it about around a year or so. And it's, you know, goal is to just basically show all the amazing opportunities for women in the trades. So can you talk a little bit about um, that account and kind of what's coming up with IBS, what you guys are hoping to have happen there? Yeah. So as you said, I have been with them for about a year and uh, it's a great group of ladies. It's myself and uh, five other women that sort of share responsibilities on running the account. And uh, they've been doing it for, I believe, like three years now. And the main goal of the whole account is just to inspire acceptance of females in the trades and empower more women with the knowledge they need to enter a career in the trades if that's what they're interested in. And uh, it's just a great community. I really enjoy being a part of it. Uh, It's a great way to just speak to a lot of other women in a lot of other different trades. And it's funny how even though they're maybe in a completely different trade, you know, a lot of the a lot of the roadblocks that we're facing are all the same mm-hmm. regardless of the industry and it's nice to be able to talk to other women about that, come up with solutions uh or even sh- just share things as simple as like uh workwear related things cuz that's something that I know a lot of people uh need help with is they're trying to find like appropriate workwear and it's just a great resource because there's so many people that just want to you know share and help each other out so it's really awesome uh and i am going to the builder show this year it's my first year we're going to be at the uh builders of insta meetup which is on tuesday january 21st 
and it starts at 3 p.m. And it's at the Professional Builder Outdoor Show Village. Uh, I'm not really sure where that is, but I'm sure once you're there, it'll be pretty obvious. Yeah. So we're going to be there, and we've actually got some new merch that we're going to be premiering for the Builders Show. So if you are at IBS, we're going to be selling that merch at the meetup. And I will personally be there. And then I am also uh, participating in a discussion panel. I'm going to be moderating it. It's about diversifying the construction workforce, resources that create access and opportunity. And that is taking place Wednesday, January 22nd from 3.30 to 4.30 in the... It's in the North Building in room 252, I believe. And it's part of the uh, building knowledge sessions that IBS is having throughout the course of the show. Nice. And so you're moderating that panel. I am. Are you a little nervous about that? (laughs) I am a little nervous about it, yes. But I have... uh, I've been preparing. Nice. I've got a lot of I got a lot of notes and uh I've been on a conference call with the rest of the women that are participating in the panel. So I think we've got uh, a pretty good pretty good discussion that we're going to be having and lots of topics that we're trying to touch on. So it should be really great talk. That's awesome. I'm sure you'll do. You're the real deal. So um, I'm sure <laughs> you will do great. Um, how are they going to possibly film that? Do you think? Cause I think that would be a really great, I don't know if, um, maybe one of the other ladies are going to maybe Instagram live it or something. Cause that sounds like a really fun discussion to be a part of or, or rewatch later. Um, yeah, I, hopefully I they believe, will, if they will, we'll link to it. <laughs> I believe we're going to be streaming it live on the Tradeswomen of IG, nice. uh, Instagram page. Yes. So all ladies, let's all show up and support them. Yeah. And I believe you can also submit questions through the, through the live feed. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, Because there is awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, I sure appreciate your time and just all the great work you're doing. And um, you'll come back again and tell us a little bit more about actually being on the site and building and doing real carpentry. I'd be another Uh, Another great interview, I think, about just running a real company here as a woman in Canada. Yeah, I would would love to do that. Thanks so much for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life Podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. 
And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. Hey.